we have to be mindful of not pulling that type A, change everything at once, do all of the buzzworthy health things at once, and listening to the feedback of our body. And if we see impacts with our sleep that are unfavorable, that's where we want to bring in things like strategic carb cycling and maybe just go to a low glycemic diet to get some of the benefits without the risk factor. Welcome back to Home Mama's Podcast. We're here to give you tools, resources, and evidence-based information so you can make the best decisions for yourself and your family. Whether you're trying to conceive or navigating life with a toddler or a teenager, we got you covered. Hi, I'm Dr. Ilana Romel, pediatric naturopathic doctor and creator of Med School for Moms, an online resource where I teach moms how to safely be a doctor mom. My co-host is Stephanie Granke, registered dietitian and program director for Whole30's Home Mamas Club and co-creator of Whole30's Pregnancy Program, Healthy Mama, Happy Baby. I'm excited to bring Allie Miller, registered dietitian and author of the Anti-Anxiety Diet Book. She believes wholeheartedly in food as medicine and teaches us what foods will help calm our thoughts and stop anxiety for good. One of the main topics I cover in my new program at Med School for Moms is the fact that us moms are vulnerable to anxiety. With so many decisions to make day in and day out, it's just so easy for us to get overwhelmed, doubt ourselves, and make some choices that aren't ultimately something that makes us happy. Stephanie and I, we both love sharing Allie's passion about helping mamas who experience anxiety, and you are in for a treat to learn some of the ways Allie likes to approach this condition with her clients. Now, before we dive into our interview, I'd like to take a moment to thank our partner for today's episode, Coconew, a safe natural lubricant made from coconuts. It's available as an oil base or as a water base. Now, personally, I don't mind talking about sex. As mamas, we've all had it. And although what I like to call adult playtime changes quite a bit once we become parents, it still happens and we can use all the help we can get as mamas transitioning our postpartum bodies. For many months, sex was really painful for me after having my daughter. Now, while nursing, I had extreme vaginal dryness, and it wasn't until I went to go get a pelvic floor physical therapy series of sessions that sex started feeling better again. Now, for moms who are interested, I recorded a great podcast on this, so check it out. It's episode 81. For more info, it's called Sex After Baby. But what I have to say is that a good lube was also essential. And I'm picky. I will not put anything inside my body that I wouldn't actually eat. For years, my husband and I would use straight coconut oil. We would have a jar in our bathroom for ease, whip it out, and go for it. However, there are some cons to this. First, if you're using condoms, you can't use an oil-based lube because it can tear the latex. I don't know if you knew that or not, but maybe you had your baby because of this mistake. Who knows? (laughs) But now you know. Now, that's why there are water-based lubes available, and Coconut has both. They have a water and an oil-based one. Another con of using straight coconut oil is it's messy. I really love our sheets. <laughs> we actually just got new ones, and the last time I had sex, I was more worried about getting the sheets dirty than actually enjoying sex, and that is not okay. So it's been so great using Coconut now, as it performs just as well, if not better than coconut oil. And it has just the safe ingredients, Plus, it did not make anywhere the mess that coconut oil usually does. So that really helped my mind stay focused on my husband and not dirtying the sheets. And I'm sure many of you are giggling because I'm not the only one who's had these thoughts. (laughs) Anyway, it's definitely worth a try, mamas. Both Stephanie and I, we've really enjoyed using it. And our husbands also give it many thumbs up. 
and I'm sure if they had more thumbs, they would be for sure using them. <laughs> this is by far their favorite product for them to try out, and we have such supportive husbands who help us do business during playtime. <laughs> so now, as a reminder, if you're interested in trying out a Coconut product, head over to their website, coconut.com, C-O-C-O-N-U.com, and use code HOMEMAMAS for 15% off. It's our gift to you mamas, so have fun. Now let's start our interview and bring Allie on today's show. Welcome back, Allie, to our show. It's so nice to have you now for the second time. You did a great interview with Stephanie with your natural C-section just a number of months ago. And if a listener has not heard that, that was such a great episode, how you just navigated through that time. And, you know, we all we all don't necessarily plan that or expect it, but you just did it with such grace. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And now today we're actually going to talk about something completely different, although I suppose a C-section can cause some anxiety, but we're going to we're <laughs> going to do a, a little bit of a deep dive into your anti-anxiety diet. So before, though, we go ahead and um, ask some of these questions, as you know, we always start off the episode with how did you nourish yourself today? So, Allie, do you mind just sharing what you did either today or sometime maybe the last week that really nourished yourself to inspire some of our mamas? I would love to, and it is my pleasure to be back on. Uh, I spent some time, I think it's so funny to hear that I navigated my C-section with grace because it sure didn't feel like grace, Mm. (laughs) like you said. Uh, But I nourished myself today by taking intentional, purposeful breath. And I focus so much in my clinic and my day-to-day practice on, you know, functional therapeutic foods and geeky elements of biochemistry and whatnot that I would love to say some of those compounds as how I nourish myself, which is true. But I have found, especially with my research with the anti-anxiety diet, that intentional purposeful breath is the best way to really rein in the wild stallion of the brain and start to swing that HPA fight or flight access into a more parasympathetic rest, digest, reproduce, and balanced place. And I use what it's called a four, seven, eight breath. And this is work done by Dr. Andrew Weil, where it's in for four, hold for seven and whoosh out for eight. And I do this in transitional times to really, again, kind of harness that stress response, whether I'm finishing up a complex case and transferring to a new client or whether I'm in the carpool lane (laughs) waiting to pick up my daughter or just now before our call when my Skype had timed out and I needed to update the new server and all of the drama with technology. So breath is today how I nourish myself. I love that. You know, it's so interesting. I think we take it for granted how powerful something so involuntary is, right? We do it all the time, all day long. And I think that's really a, a great technique that you use yourself that you could teach to some of your clients. I know at my medical center, we have multiple doctors there. I think there's now seven of us. Anyway, one of our doctors, Dr. Ostrut, he does these breath work workshops with his awesome. patients and with the community. And I hear such incredible things about it. And I'm like, Corey, what are you doing? And I'm like, I have to go and attend one because I'm just hearing so many great things about the power of our breath and what we can really do with it on such a functional level. So I'm really intrigued. I don't do a ton of breath work, but I appreciate you sharing that. That kind of inspires me to kind of get to one of his workshops and just, you know, be more mindful about that. So thank you. Yes. A great way to really, like I said, harness in that 
both wild stallion of the brain as far as racing thoughts, but like you said, on a physiological level, that autonomic nervous system, the vagus nerve that goes from the brain stem all the way down through the colon, you can really feel a physiological change when you move into that parasympathetic breath work. And I think the trickle effect can be really powerful. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you. My topic, I guess, on how did I nourish myself was totally not my breathing, but it was something different. That's okay. <laughs> um, the other day, I, I woke up with like a really stiff neck. And you know, I'm sure this has happened to you. This happens probably like once a year to me. It doesn't happen often, but you know, you just sleep in a weird position and your neck kind of gives out. And so I, I saw my foam roller there. It's actually more so my husband's foam roller that I borrow from him. And I got on it and it just like, it felt so good to roll out. And I just started realizing, I was like, gosh, Ilana, why do you wait for pain to roll? You know, like, why am I waiting to react to something before I just get out the foam roller that I just know helps me so much and it helps my posture and it just helps me feel so good. Allie, I don't know if you know, but I'm actually 14 weeks pregnant with my second child as we're recording this. And so it's just so interesting to me that I'm like, I want to be so proactive to keep aches and pains away as my belly grows and as my body changes. And so lately I've been really taking out the foam roller and getting on it. And even if it's like two minutes and this morning, I try to wake up a little bit before my daughter Aviva and she ended up getting out of bed and she just came right up to me and she laid, she laid right on my stomach as I'm on the foam roller. So if you can imagine, I'm literally lying <laughs> on this hard foam roller and now I've got this two-year-old lying on my chest. And I was like, you know what? I can still roll out even just like cuddling with her and being with her. This isn't like such a difficult task. And so that's kind of the new nourishing practice that I've been doing for myself, whether it's in the morning or in the evening. And, you know, Aviva watches, she now gets on the foam roller and kind of, I mean, she doesn't really roll, but she tries to, and it's so cute. So <laughs> that's really I fun love it. for me. Yeah. And I want to be proactive. I just, I'm not one to wait for pain to get on the foam roller or to start being proactive with my diet or, or my exercise routine or any of that. So I was like, why am I waiting? So I'm excited to bring the foam roller back into my life as a little bit more of a routine for myself. I love that. And just the focus on self-touch and, and that, you know, connectivity and love and intention and purpose now with growing babe in the body has to be really powerful too. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It's so wild. And it's so fun. Cause I'm just starting to show my little belly's like popping out much earlier than it was with Aviva. My first pregnancy, I didn't show until six months. I was like, where is this belly? <laughs> right. Everyone's so different. My sister popped at two months, like, you know, right. We're all different. And so with this one, now I'm 14 weeks and it's like, I'm just starting to see something and I'm like, oh my gosh, here it is, you know? So wow. it's fun, but you could tell there's difference in, in the body and how I'm sleeping and my positioning. And I think that's why I woke up with that stiff neck. So just all great things to be mindful of. And to be honest, I, I appreciate it. And I celebrate the pains in the sense that it, it gives me awareness to then be proactive and do these type of exercises and mindful movements and even taking those deep breaths. And all of these are, are, are reminders to us that, all right, things are, are speeding up. Or I love how you said the wild stallion brain, or, you know, there's always <laughs> signs, right? We all, we all get signs in different ways. So let's go ahead and, and really jump into this anxiety. And I love this sure. wild stallion brain because, you know, it happens to all of us. And especially for us moms, I just recorded a 
a podcast talking about overwhelm and how all these micro stresses build up and causes overwhelm for us. So a very similar topic. But what I loved about your approach is that you're really taking um, a diet approach to how we can really manage and and cure our anxiety. And also from like a supplement approach, you know, what's safe during pregnancy and nursing. And so we're going to really pick your brain about this because it's such an important topic that all of us moms deal with, whether it's during pregnancy or after pregnancy. You know, there's just so many multiple variables that come up in, in the game of motherhood. And so I just think this is such an important topic for us to really, really understand. So thank you for your time and all your work with this. You've got great resources. Thank you. And, you know, so I put this together in my 10th year of clinical practice when I decided (laughs) that, you know, as a functional practitioner, right, we are always looking at the root causes of chronic illness. And I decided that anxiety is the Achilles heel. And if we don't regulate how our body and whether we want to deem it as anxiety or just feeling frazzled or, you know, feeling like we have mom brain, quote unquote, or rolling with the punches, but not thriving with the day-to-day demands. Uh, I often use the visual of like hanging onto the bumper of the vehicle of your body, (laughs) right? Like just being dragged day-to-day running on adrenaline and not being in that driver's seat. And I really found that if we can harness and manage anxiety or be more resilient to our day-to-day stressors, that we can have more of a foundational balanced approach within our entire body's expression. And within that, that there's also chicken and egg relationship of drivers of anxiety. And so my book takes a six R approach where we look at removing inflammatory foods, resetting the gut microbiome, repairing our GI lining. We look at restoring micronutrient deficiencies of focus and then rebounding the adrenals and finally rebalancing our neurotransmitters. Whereas, you know, with allopathic medicine, often we start at the neurotransmitter modulation before any of that foundational whole body work. Oh, I love this. This is great. And because I also am a functional medicine practitioner, I see how important the gut function is to the brain health. And it's something we cannot look over. And so it's just so important that you really highlight that in your book and in your approach. So I like the six R's. We do a lot of the four R's, right? When we're doing gut repair, but there is, there's more, right? There's more to that. So I really, I appreciate that so much. Tell us a little bit about then some of the foods that we just absolutely know trigger anxiety. I mean, someone's having any type of issues already, we just need to get rid of those. Or if we just want to really want to prevent anxiety, what do we do? Yeah. So just anxiety alone, I guess I'll isolate first. And then we can talk about the pro-inflammatory foods that drive anxiety. Cause I think of that as more of like a chronic exposure, but the immediate or acute driver of anxiety, the first two that I pull out are caffeine and sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so you just have to go there and I know tired moms, I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's so true. We do get an epinephrine response from caffeine. And so this is where I really feel, you know, something like matcha is going to be superior to coffee or espresso because we will get a little bit of caffeine in the matcha from the green tea, but we're getting a nice complementary delivery of L-theanine and L-theanine does modulate the way that that caffeine impacts our epinephrine and epinephrine is that adrenaline, right? So if we're thinking of that fight or flight 
stress, anxiety surge. And so some women will do better with tea because of that L-theanine over coffee. So maybe you try replacing first before you like pull the leg out from the stool. If you are a caffeine drinker, uh, you might try replacing and then you might try adding fat to your matcha, like grass-fed butter or ghee or coconut oil or full-fat coconut milk, because the fat can help to also make you feel a little bit more grounded, less wiry or jittery. And then sugar would be a big one too, because we can get this refractory hypoglycemic drop. You know, we get a blood sugar spike from a refined sweetened food or a refined grain product, and we get that insulin surge, and then we get the blood sugar drop. And that can create, you know, this really dynamic impact on blood pressure, especially with pregnancy. The blood volume is a lot more delicate. Uh, we can also get a surge of anxiety based on bacterial impact from the body with the high refined sugar foods. If they feed bacteria pathogens that drive things like SIBO or dysbiosis, because we know in a state of gut bacteria imbalance that these bad bugs thrive on refined sugars. And these bad bugs actually put out more epinephrine as well. And in a balanced symbiotic state, the good probacteria in a balanced diet and balanced bacteria status are going to make more serotonin and GABA or a mellower outer. So pulling out that sugar can help to uh, basically not feed the beast of imbalance as well as far as a, a gut biome, as well as blood sugar control. Great. Thank you. That was a really great explanation. You know, I've heard this time and time again, why caffeine and sugar are not necessarily healthy foods for us, but I never actually heard it in that regard. And so I love your explanation. Thanks for being so thorough. I think it's sure. important for us to really understand what it's doing to us. All right. And right. not only us, but, you know, to our kids and to our, our spouses and, you know, to everyone, just so we could see, wow, they're really reacting in this kind of way. I think maybe a first step for moms who do love their coffee or love putting their sugar in their coffee is just to start being mindful about it. You know, try to track, is your anxiety worse after a cup of coffee or is your anxiety worse later in the day when you tend to have two cups of coffee? Right. I think right. for everyone, we metabolize caffeine so differently. And so for some, one cup a day really is not going to be a big issue, but the minute they have that second cup, that's when it, it's going to trigger their anxiety. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And so, you know, we have different genes that play a role with our metabolism of caffeine and some of us are rapid and some of us are slow. So that would play a contributing factor. And then, yes, I mean, there's, there's also, I think the environmental cues, right? Like if there's also build up of a stress driving event. Maybe it's a performance review at work. Maybe it's public speaking. If we're wired to be in more of a sympathetic state, maybe we had an argument with our spouse, right? And, and they're coming home that evening and we're anticipating or ruminating on a past conversation. We're more hardwired on those days to be already in a higher adrenaline state. And we will likely have more of a negative impact from caffeine on those days. So it seems like those would be sometimes <laughs> cramming for an exam, right? Um, and those types of anticipatory stressors that we'd want to go for the caffeine, but that's where we may want to go for something that's more grounding and helps to keep us feel very stable instead of that refractory stress response. Great. Yeah. Very well said. I have to be honest. I'm one of those who cannot tolerate caffeine. I'm like the funny lady that goes to a coffee shop and I'm like, can I please have a half of a shot of decaf 
only like, and they need to like repeat it to me because I'm so (laughs) sensitive to it. Like, please. And this is like maybe once every six months, do I even get that? You know, I actually really like matcha. So if I do feel like I need that little pick me up, I really do well with matcha. And so I think it's interesting that my genetics and just my susceptibility to caffeine and coffee, it's just so strong, but matcha is really much more mild and it feels good to me. And so, you know, maybe for moms, if they haven't tried matcha to play around with it, to see how they do with that as well. I I just think that's a great substitute. And the other thing that I just wanted to add, if you don't mind, as just from another clinician's perspective, I'm such a believer also in like root cause medicine, right? So I feel like when people are tired I really want them to listen to their body and take a nap right now. Mm -hmm. That's not always possible. And I get it. Life doesn't always allow for a nap. And so I, 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 I totally honor that. And if like day after day and morning after morning, you're feeling that like absolute need and that craving for coffee for that pick me up, it's really time that we step back to see, am I getting to sleep on time? you know, what am I eating at night that may not be helping me get to deep sleep? Or, you know, what can we do to rearrange my schedule so that I am able to wake up more refreshed? Or maybe that's not the issue. You're getting your 12 hours of sleep and you're still tired. Well, it's time to really get to the bottom of this and figure this out. So we're just not so dependent on grabbing coffee. So again, I think we're very similar kind of geeks in this way. We're always looking for, well, what is happening in the body? Why are we craving our coffee for a pick me up? Or why are we looking for that sugar at 2 PM. Cause all of this is just feeding a cycle. And especially if you're susceptible to anxiety, these are foods that we definitely want to avoid because they can definitely trigger. So I figure you would agree with that kind of philosophy, but so important that we really take the time to look into that. All right, Allie. So let's go ahead now into learning about what foods can help reduce anxiety. So we kind of talked a little bit about what foods trigger anxiety, but what are some of the foods that we know if like you're feeling anxious, what can we do and maybe using food as medicine in the moment? Yes. So aside from that L-theanine that's in our matcha, which is super powerful, most definitely, I go to my first mineral of magnesium. So magnesium is like the ultimate chill pill and also a really safe supplement tool to use uh, in prenatal health. So magnesium is going to be found in our leafy greens and nuts and seeds as great whole food forms. And we also get a really balanced approach when we're eating. I recommend two to three cups of leafy greens a day in my anti-anxiety diet because that's also going to provide a web of natural folate, which we know plays a big role with our use of methylation. It plays a big role with neurotransmitter signaling and function and production of feel-good chemicals like serotonin. And we know that also beyond magnesium and folate, we can use nutrients like zinc. Zinc plays a big role in balancing copper. And so there are even conditions like pyloria, which is a condition where we see functionally low B6 and zinc. And uh, these two nutrients are very powerful in helping mood stability. And B6 is one that plays a big role as a cofactor in our neurotransmitters. So this is one that we would be getting uh, vitamin, our, our zinc from our mineral foods like our shellfish. Uh, we also get zinc from red meat. So like grass-fed steak can be a fantastic source there. Pepitas or pumpkin seeds and blackstrap molasses also going to be complementary in both B vitamins and minerals. 
Great. Okay, good. So do you think they're as effective literally in the moment? If mom's feeling anxious, can she expect to feel that reduced anxiety literally after the first few bites? Or is she kind of expecting that this may take a little bit of time? It's a double-edged sword, you know? And so the the question is in relationship to what? (laughs) So it's both the removal of the pro-inflammatory foods and then those primary drivers of anxiety peaks, like I said, and then it's going to be those that aid in this blanket foundational approach of nourishment, reducing inflammation, and also aiding as nutritional building blocks to make neurotransmitters. So I think something like protein intake is going to have a more dynamic, more immediate, if you will, like grounding impact on the brain and on the mood. I don't tend to see leafy greens being as immediate, but I do have clients that say a green smoothie or a large leafy salad within two to three hours that they feel really stable. And they do notice that that helps with cognitive function and mood stability. But I find protein to be my go-to. Like if, you know, if I'm dealing with, or especially with my toddler, honestly, I love keeping like really good quality meat sticks on hand. I even have like Peterson's single packs of bacon. (laughs) Bacon mellows out a fit all of the time in my household. (laughs) I go to that. It's a great source of choline, which we know acetylcholine is a, you know, conductor for neurotransmitters in the brain. Uh, So proteins are a really great tool to be a more, I would say, light switch effect on an anxiety impact. That's really great. You know, and personally, I I feel the same way. When I have protein, I feel much more stable. And I think I would reach more for protein and fat combo. Usually our proteins do have some fat, but I do the same thing with my daughter is that's the first thing I would give her if I just see she's either hyperactive or, you know, just kind of like bouncing around or whatnot. Although she would probably want the carbs, right? I really try to hold off on those and really give her the proteins. And she actually loves it. You know, she does so well with them and we do too. I don't know if I ever shared with the listeners, but I was actually vegan for about seven years of my life. And I was struggling a lot more with anxiety at that time in my life and depression. And it just, I I wanted to be vegan and vegetarian so badly from an ethical standpoint, from so many different reasons. And and I loved the philosophy with it. You know, it just made so much sense. I love whole foods and plant-based foods. And my body was also telling me otherwise. And so over the years when I decided to kind of be just what I call like a mindful carnivore and, you know, I would eat more, you know, just very mindfully raised and and grass fed and, you know, just really good quality meats. I just I just felt so much better. And my anxiety and depression truly just like went away. I, I was in disbelief. Not only did I just feel better, my thyroid symptoms were better. I was able to lose weight and build muscle and my constipation was gone. I mean, there were so many other symptoms, but really what was, I think, overriding everything was really my anxiety. That I love that that wild stallion was really taking over. And, <laughs> and I bring this up because you mentioned protein and it, it was just so hard for me to get enough protein out of my lentils and beans. And, yes. you know, I was eating soy at that time and, and I did my best. I mean, I was a very mindful vegan as well. I was really focusing on, you know, my, my, you know, complete proteins and making sure, sure I got my grains and my, and my beans. And I also have a lot of patients 
who come in and they, they thrive off of being vegetarian. And I say, great, as long as you're feeling well, you know, and, and I go through all the lists and I ensure that they're not just saying that, right. That like their biomarkers are healthy. They are feeling well, they're thriving. And I say, wonderful. And then there's some vegetarians that come in and I just say, look, I can really relate. This is what worked for me. Perhaps we want to give this a try. And we slowly bring in eggs or we slowly bring in fish. And we, you know, we, we add in some of these proteins and I find that a lot of them really do feel well specifically with their anxiety. And so I'm so glad he brought up that point with protein. And I was, you know, I'm happy to share that story of mine. And I love that I was able to go through it on my own so I can really empathize and share because I know from an ethical perspective, it is such an awesome feeling. I mean, I really didn't want to give it up. And I also just, I feel better than ever. And so I'm just so glad that I was able to listen to my body and give it what it needed at that stage of life. Yes. And I can absolutely relate. In fact, my book talks about my first onset of a panic attack was when I was raw vegan. (laughs) And I also believe that my vegan diet did catapult my Hashimoto's diagnosis because I was doing vital wheat gluten. (laughs) Mm. You know, that was Mm -hmm. the protein. Seitan was the protein and that was soy and all the things. And I transferred into a GAPS diet and never looked back as far as the, the, it was a very strange change, right? To go from a snout, like from a vegan to snout to tail philosophy of eating bone broth and all of these things that seem so foreign. But I do find because of the impact of, you know, amino acids or protein building blocks, which yes, you can get from vegetarian sources, but they tend to be more bioavailable in animal products. And they are the direct building blocks to make our neurotransmitters. And like I said, I find that to be the most uh, fast acting or rapid acting in both children and adults influence for mood stability. I love that. Well, we have such similar stories. And (laughs) and unfortunately, I hear this often. So this isn't, you know, uncommon. And again, I think if maybe there's a mama listener that is vegetarian or vegan, there's nothing wrong or right about this. Really, there's no judgment around it. These are just stories that, you know, work for us. So I would say if maybe that mom is feeling anxiety or depression or other symptoms to consider potentially adding a little bit more animal protein into the diet. But if she's thriving and doing great, then awesome, you know, rock on, just keep on doing what you're doing. This is really just our experience that we're sharing. So thanks for sharing yours. Yeah, I've I've come a long way as well and I feel better than ever. So it's just, it's nice to have both experiences, I would say. Now, I've got a lot of great questions from our community. We reached yes. out on Instagram, so I would love if you don't mind. I'm going to read it. a couple of theirs. Is One of them I thought was so good is like, how do I even just change my diet if I find that some of the foods I'm eating is contributing to my anxiety? What, what tips do you have? It's such a habit-forming thing that we do multiple times a day. What are some of your tips that you give to your clients? So I think intention and purpose and kind of tying this, I I love how you said, you know, connecting to what feels right in your body is really important because anything, if you follow the protocol in my anti-anxiety diet, or if you follow a whole 30, or if you follow any form of a diet prescription and it doesn't feel right, you have to take a step back and reconnect with your body, right? It's just information. Food is information for our bodies and our brains. And it's important to be mindful in the connection in our process. And we're all coming at a different entry point. So we want to be very mindful about the equal power of both avoidance and abundance. And so I would just say, start slow and steady. Um, I highlight five pro-inflammatory foods in my protocol. And so it does pull out 
gluten and dairy because of the opioid impact on them. And so I would say of all of the five beyond sugar and caffeine as consideration, those would be the two that I would strongly commit to if dealing with anxiety because the caseomorphin and gluteomorphin can interfere with your opioid receptors. And we see this with research studies on schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. So in your household for your children as well, if they're acting out and you're at the point of dealing with psychiatrists and considering you know, drug therapy, gluten and dairy-free would be a staunch decision that I would say as a removal. And then as an abundance world of things, you know, we're looking at with children and then with moms, how do we enjoy the power of produce, right? So incorporating seasonal eating, um, trying to get in our anti-inflammatory berries, which are also very rich in vitamin C. These work beautiful in supporting our adrenal glands. Of all of the organs in our body, our tiny adrenal glands store the most vitamin C, and this is used to regulate cortisol, that primary stress hormone. So citrus in the winter, berries in the summer is a really great way to eat in abundance and try to eat within budget of seasonality. And then also looking at, like I said, those leafy greens beyond salads, blending those into your bone broth and incorporating protein fat throughout the day. So one big mantra I would say for any entry point is no naked carbs. And so if you're having a carbohydrate food, whether that's a peach, whether that is a slice of sprouted grain bread, if you're doing breads, whether that is a form of a sweet potato or starchy vegetable, having fat, especially if you are still vegetarian, at least add fat to mitigate that blood sugar spike. Uh, so adding coconut oil to your roasted sweet potato or adding uh, nut butter to these fruits and such or nuts and seeds or um, different forms of proteins and fats are going to blunt the, the glycemic impact and give us that grounding nutrient dense influence. Great. I, I'm, I completely agree with you. I love it. I think my sister makes fun of me when she sees me eating or feeding my daughter. She goes, oh, you just paired a carb and a fat. And I was like, yes, I did. And she, and I said, well done. And she goes, yep, I see I'm learning. And it's yeah. so cute because, and I like how you call them naked carbs. I've actually never heard that term. That's very <laughs> sweet and cute for, especially for a kid, right? You want to yeah. teach them. In fact, even I'm teaching my husband and I'm teaching even my nanny. Like I tell them when you give my daughter snacks, you know, or I don't tell that to my husband, but our daughter, right? When you give <laughs> yeah. to our daughter snacks, like you need to combine this. I don't want you to just give her those blueberries and then the orange and then the mango. And I've heard him say this. I'm like, oh, what did she eat? The blueberries, the orange and the mango. I'm like, babe, those are great options. You know, like they're right, good, they're right. good. But, but we need to add a fat. And he goes, oh yeah. Okay. Got it. Thank you. Okay. Next time. You know? And he's like, okay, now today she, and then he would do a fruit and then an Epic bar. And I'm like, good job. You know what I mean? Right, like that was right. good. So we have to teach people how to do this. And I just think answering that question, how do I change my diet? It, it, it may not even necessarily be how do you take things out? It actually may be how do you combine things in different exactly. ways? Um, how routinely are you eating foods and what are the, the combinations of foods that I think is really more important than anything. And I love though how you talk about those inflammatory foods like gluten and dairy. And that actually leads us to the next question that one of the moms ask is like, does this all tie back to inflammation, right? We hear this word so much. And is there a big correlation with inflammation and anxiety? And what does that look like? What does that really mean? Yeah, it is. It's actually super strong. It's interesting to see in research studies. So we use a marker, uh, C-reactive protein as a blood marker of inflammation. 
And there is trends of individuals that have higher CRP levels to be more prone towards anxiety and depression. And it's because inflammatory chemicals, so whether they're prostaglandin, cytokines, you know, name the geeky term, inflammatory chemical mediators cross the blood-brain barrier. So they actually can interfere with the way that our neurotransmitters fire and the way that our neurotransmitter signals are received. It's like as if those neurotransmitters are trying to get through jello in an inflamed brain, right? They're not getting that clean, rapid acting influence. It's more of a foggy situation. So reducing inflammation systemically in the in the body by following an anti-inflammatory diet. And for some individuals that have other large symptoms of inflammation, so let's say they're also dealing with chronic joint pain or inflammatory bowel conditions or other inflammatory disease states, they may even want to go into an elimination diet approach to really tailor or fine tooth comb what foods in their body are their kryptonite versus superfoods because our immune system is going to be the determinant of you know that surveillance of what is friend and what is foe and how that gut responds in that gut blood barrier, right? That's where we absorb our nutrients. And that does tie back to this process of gut integrity, you know? So by keeping the gut lining intact and supporting gut integrity, then we're going to have less compounds in or less large particles in the bloodstream, which generally means less circulating inflammation. Great. Again, well said, man, I can listen to you all day. I love this stuff. I I geek out on it, but it's so neat to hear how other people explain it. Cause right. We talk about this all the time in our clinic too. It's just, I love it. I love the jello, you know, um, (laughs) metaphor. I love the kryptonite, you know, all of these things are great. Cause again, it just takes a lot of repetition to really understand and learn what this stuff does. And especially when those foods are tasty, you know, I mean, I I, actually, I'm going to bring my sister back into this. Maybe she's listening to this episode. That'd be fun. But, you know, she says to me, she goes, I really, really want to lose weight. And I really, really like those foods. And, and when she said that to me, I was like, man, that has to be so challenging. Like for me, I think I'm just so fortunate. I just, I really love healthy food and I really love eating good, wholesome food. And I have no problem eliminating gluten and dairy from my diet because I just know what it, how it makes me feel. So, but I can understand how when people want to change their diet, even though they're feeling the anxiety or the, the depression, those are the foods they go to because for a hot second, it can actually quell those symptoms or quench those symptoms, but then they still feel worse afterwards, but they just, they are so addicted to it and they love it. They would rather just eat that than actually feel better for the majority of the time. You know, there takes a lot to make changes. And so I just want to almost like honor that in people because I hear it a lot with patients. I, I really feel for them. I think it's such a a true testimony to like how much you want something enough to really use diet alone as your, as your true medicine. It takes a lot, but then once you really start eating those foods that work for you, you really get clear on what your body benefits from what foods in your body. It's like kryptonite. I loved how you said that. And then you just feel so good. I think it's just so much easier to then continue that lifestyle, but it does take some time to get there. So I, I understand that. And I think some of our lab testing can also, you know, help. I do a lot of food intolerance panels in my office. I'm sure you're, you're familiar with that. I do a lot of IgG mediated reactions. They're not necessarily gold standard. I think elimination diets are definitely a, a more gold standard approach. However, they do take a lot of work to do. 
But right. it's so important for a person to understand what foods benefit them and what and what foods don't so that they know how to navigate. Oftentimes we don't, and it's so individualized that it sometimes can get very overwhelming. Yes. And I think that if you go into this with like a white knuckle effect, <laughs> if you're stressed out by your anti-anxiety diet, you're probably not going to have a good time, right? You have to be mindful about your entry point, as I said earlier. And I think it's very empowering to have a structured jump in approach like a whole 30 or like my anti-anxiety diet, which gives you rules and guidelines of, you know, a timeline. My program is 12 weeks that you commit to of these five anti, you know, foods that you remove that are pro-inflammatory. And then we talk you through reintroduction and what have you. But I always say that when you're going from mediocre to crummy, like, right, if you're not feeling awesome in your body and you binge or you eat something very processed or refined, you're not going to get as much feedback as feeling amazing to crummy. Then you're going to know what impacts your body, but it does generally take that cold pool of water jump in entry point that you can wring out the inflammation so you can start to hear the feedback of your body because otherwise you're kind of in this mucky space of mediocrity. And like I said, it's not as big of a leap to crummy, whereas awesome. You know that you want to stay there and you don't want to let things set you back much further. Yes. I completely agree with that. How many weeks would you say to give people to really feel that amazing? Is it one week? Is it two weeks? You know, how many days would you say to do that elimination diet that you could say, okay, now you can go ahead and assess your amazing to mediocre scale? Yeah. So I say a minimum of six, truly, Mm -hmm. you know, if we're looking at like metabolic changes, so my anti-anxiety diet program also does layer on a form of nutritional ketosis. And so that in itself can take three to four weeks to really get the body fat adapted. And a lot of people that are coming from a standard American diet have to first layer in the anti-inflammatory as they're bringing in carb control, doing no naked carbs and bringing up the fat and protein and then shave out the carbs, you know, versus everything at once. That can just be a little bit too overwhelming and lead to failure versus success. Great. I actually had a question about ketones and ketosis, but before we jump into that, I just wanted to confirm, I agree with you. I say to patients six to eight weeks Mm -hmm. and without that time, and it needs to be like real, truly committed to that. We're not going to see the outcomes that I know we could get. And so we just have to commit to that. So I'm so glad that you also recommend that in your book, just as far as realistic expectations go. Um, Because again, being mediocre is not going to motivate someone at all, right? From crummy to mediocre, we really need to get them feeling amazing. And you will feel that within six to eight weeks. And if you don't, then we got to look at something else underlying, you know, then it just gives us more information. Great. Well, let's talk a little bit about ketones and ketosis, because I think this is such an important topic. You know, it's been such a hot buzzword for many, many months now. And I was curious how that is actually incorporated in in your anti-anxiety diet. Sure. So just as I mentioned inflammatory chemicals crossing the blood-brain barrier. Nutritional ketones or ketones in the bloodstream that the body makes from a carb-restricted, higher-fat diet also cross the blood-brain barrier. And so we have known the power of ketones in the central nervous system via the influence of the ketogenic diet and epilepsy. And one of the mechanisms of action there is that these ketones cross the blood-brain barrier and they dock to receptor sites that upregulate GABA influence and downregulate epinephrine. 
So if you think of something as dynamic of convulsions or seizure activity of a high epinephrine adrenaline surge and low GABA, GABA is also the same neurotransmitter we think of with like Parkinson's disease, right? When individuals are dealing with spasm and tremor in their muscular system, GABA has a very powerful anxiolytic effect and it has a very powerful influence on our neuromuscular system in release and relaxation. And so the influence of ketones on the ability to upregulate GABA is one that's very powerful in grounding the stress response. Okay, great. Again, very well said. Thank you for explaining that. I wanted to share my personal opinion, if that or not opinion, more of my experience in when I personally attempt to go into ketosis, I tend to be more hungry and more stressed because of that restriction of anything. I don't know. That's just how my brain works. I think because I came from an eating disorder background, um, I had orthorexia many, many years ago. And anytime I restrict anything, it actually creates more anxiety because I think I go back into that type of disordered thinking. Sure. And so I just wanted to also mention, I think this could be amazing for some people. And I think for other people, it actually could cause more anxiety. And I, and I just, again, I think it's just how awesome and how unique people are. <laughs> it goes yeah. right back to if this anti-anxiety diet is stressing you out, clearly this is not working for you, right? right? Or if Whole30 is stressing you out, this is clearly not working for you. And so again, just tuning in to really what works for your body is what we're trying to do, right? I mean, all of these amazing, passionate people out there, Ali, you are included, who come up with these great ideas, these 12-week diets and such. They're working with people who are specifically designed that this is what's going to work for them. And if it doesn't work for you, then that's okay because there's a lot of other techniques or, or, or situations. So I just right. wanted to share that. And I think it is. I think ketones could be such brilliant ways to upregulate uh, GABA receptors. And it, it makes complete sense scientifically. And again, it's just great for someone to understand where their starting point is and what really works for them or not. Yes. Can I share in in my clinical experience where I see the the pitfalls of keto? Because I think, uh, well, I deal with it largely, you know, it's a big influence of my practice. And one of the big concerns I have for women listening that may have had an unsuccessful approach to keto or uh, may hear something and want to try it, but haven't tried it yet. We really have to be mindful that the ketogenic diet is hormetic. And what that means is that it is a hormonal stressor to the body. Just like the use of infrared sauna, just like the use of intermittent fasting, just like exercise, right? So all of those things isolated, sauna, exercise, keto are wonderful, healing, therapeutic for the diet. But all of those things can also equally drive dysfunction in the body if used inappropriately or in synergy that drives imbalance. And so when I'm running my, I I do a 12 week virtual program where we use a ketogenic diet and I have different phases of restriction and I put pregnant women on a low glycemic diet, not a tight carb controlled keto diet. Um, I put breastfeeding mamas in the middle, but what I do is I have to negotiate with you of if you can even tip your toe into the world of keto based on your lifestyle factors. Because if you are doing CrossFit or spin class and you're having more than that one cup of caffeine and you're undersleeping and you're overstressing, that could be the nail in the coffin that drives you to hair loss. That can drive your thyroid to burnout. 
that can drive dysfunction in your HPA axis and drive hypothalamic amenorrhea. Just as much as ketones can aid with PCOS and drive balanced fertility, right? So it's just important to note that it has hormonal and stress influence on the body. And we have to be mindful of not pulling that type A, change everything at once, do all of the buzzworthy health things at once, um, and listening to the feedback of our body. And if we see impacts with our sleep that are unfavorable, that's where we want to bring in things like strategic carb cycling and maybe just go to a low glycemic diet to get some of the benefits without the risk factor. Allie, I love you and I love your philosophy and your <laughs> approach. Really, it's just awesome. And Thank you. it's, you know, I think it's challenging when you're working with so many patients virtually and, you know, you're doing group. How do you really tailor it? And you've really designed this so well. I, I just want to commend you for that. I think that's excellent that you're really looking in to each individual person to see is this going to benefit them or could this do more harm. And I just, it's perfect. And that's really how we're designed, right? We're so unique, which is what makes us just so beautiful. And we all need a different approach. So thank you so much for mentioning that. Okay. I I see we're at 45 minutes. So, um, there's one more question that I I just don't want to miss that a community member asked, and then we're going to go ahead. And I just want you to share all this great stuff that you have to offer. The question is really, is diet enough or what supplements can I take? Like, are there supplements that can help with my anxiety that are safe specifically during pregnancy and nursing? So diet is a wonderful foundation and can be a way once you've harnessed that wild stallion to maintain on the pasture (laughs) or out of the rocky world, I suppose, if you will, uh, diet is a very powerful tool as a foundation, but it may not be enough of a true intervention if you are at the stage of considering medication or you're looking to wean medication and are coordinating care with your, your practitioner and looking at supporting a healthful pregnancy and maintaining breastfeeding through the process. So I do find supplements to be a fantastic strategy. I use the natural medicines database as my tool of classifications of herbs, whether they're class 1A are are the area that I recommend in clinical practice, those that have longstanding traditional use, have no concern of toxicity, and um, are proven to be safe or otherwise considered as safe based on no negative studies seen. And adaptogenic herbs can fall, which are going to be herbs that help us to adapt to stress demand and aid in stress resilient. Adaptogens can fall all the way into class C. And so it really just depends on the classification. And then we look at nutrients in the similar light. So adaptogens that I love working with, with pregnant and breastfeeding mamas are medicinal mushrooms like cordyceps and reishi. These are fantastic tools that aid with resilience. I love using, as I mentioned, that L-theanine, which is that modulator of our neurotransmitters. That's what's in matcha. But this also has a favorable influence on the alpha brainwaves, which aid in creative focus, um, concentration, meditation, and aid with alpha brainwaves, which can help with sleep. Magnesium bisglycinate, you know, I said magnesium was the ultimate chill pill. This is fantastic for even aiding with preeclampsia and blood pressure control. And magnesium is one that is a very safe tool. And the bisglycinate is more neuromuscular and mood impacting over the citrate form. And then optimizing B vitamin status and ensuring that the forms in your prenatal are methylated and in a bioavailable form would be another thing that I would say as a strong consideration. 
Excellent. I love these all. I agree with them. And they're all so safe and gentle. So I think that this is something that we could safely say are are something for pregnant and breastfeeding mamas to really consider. So thank you for that. Great. Well, I can talk to you for another hour easily. I, I really enjoyed my time with you. Thank you so much for just coming on the show and sharing your knowledge with us. For moms and, you know, listeners who just want to see, you know, understand what are these virtual, you know, diets that you do with patients or where can they find the anti-anxiety book? Like, give me a little bit of idea of where we can direct these listeners so they can find out more. Sure. My pleasure. So everything is very simplistically under Allie Miller RD. So my website is AllieMillerRD.com. All of my social handles are at Allie Miller RD and that's just A-L-I-M-I-L-L-E-R. And then my book is sold where all books are sold, you know, Barnes and Noble, you name it. Um, also on Amazon and on my website and the anti-anxiety diet cookbook comes out in the fall. So I'm super excited about that. It is going to be 80 beautifully photographed recipes. It has more intensive pantry staple guides and meal plans. And it does have this phase 1.5 protocol which is an add-on to the anti-anxiety book specifically for pregnant and breastfeeding mamas. So you can definitely look forward to that in the fall. And then on my website, I have a section called books and programs. And that's where I have my virtual 12-week food as medicine keto class and other eBooks and resources. Oh, excellent. Thank you. And you really have a lot of resources on your website. <laughs> yeah. You are, you are just like Stephanie and I, we just have so much to share, right? Yes. Like we oh, just yeah. love to share. So I think it's great. You're, it was again, just such a pleasure to talk to you. Hopefully we'll have you on again in the future to talk about another topic. You just have such a great wealth of knowledge. So I appreciate your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. It was such a fun conversation. Thank oh, you for good. having me on. You got it. Okay. Take good care, Allie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, thanks for joining us on today's episode with Allie Miller talking about her anti-anxiety diet book. We hope that this helps you, you know, just learn some tools on how to manage some anxiety or even to prevent it in the first place. We want to also thank our partner, Coco New. Please remember to use the code HOMEMAMAS at checkout over at coconew.com to get 15% off your first order. If you enjoy this episode, please help us out by sharing our podcast with your mama friends and writing us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you enjoyed about this episode and help us grow our village. You can also visit our website at homemamasclub.com forward slash podcast to review show notes, find past episodes, and leave comments and questions for future shows. Please remember that the views and ideas presented on this podcast are for informational purposes only. All information, content, and material presented on this podcast is for informational purposes and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. Consult with your qualified physician or healthcare provider before starting any diet, supplement regimen, or determine the appropriateness of the information shared on the podcast, or if you have any questions regarding pregnancy or prenatal treatment. All right, now go on, have a good day, and nourish and nurture yourself and your family. 